City Council will hold a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for when scheduled for a legally required public hearing. The general public comment session begins at five. Christmas is coming up, but are you not in the Christmas spirit like Charlie Brown? Attend a Charlie Brown Christmas live at the Paramount Theater. Set amid the wintry delights of Schultz's Minnesota childhood, a Charlie Brown Christmas finds the Peanuts gang working out the true meaning of Christmas for themselves in a world devoid of adult supervision. Get your tickets now. The fourth annual Cherry Creek Holiday Market takes place daily in Cherry Creek North from November 16th through December 24th. The event features over 50 local makers, a regular schedule of live music from local acts, a full bar program, and a highly decorated festive atmosphere. This market is free, open to the public, and it's family and dog friendly. A winter wonderland awaits you at the Denver Kris Kringle Market, located at Civic Center Park. This authentic German-style holiday market hosts both local and European craft and food vendors, entertainers for everyone to enjoy. This is a must-holiday experience that is free and open to the public. Experience nostalgic Disney magic at Be Our Guest, a touring DJ dance party for adults featuring 90s and 2000s classics like Lion King and Hannah Montana. Guests can expect themed cocktails, audience members in costume, and even a chance to come on stage to lip sync your favorite song. Celebrate the holiday season at Blossoms of Light, a dazzling and ever-changing display of light and color. For three decades, this annual holiday light extravaganza has transformed the Botanic Gardens into a twinkling wonderland. Purchase your tickets before they're gone. Rock out this holiday season with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra as they bring their The Ghosts of Christmas Eve concert to Ball Arena. This is a show you don't want to miss. The Denver Broncos will be playing the Minnesota Vikings on November 19th. Bring the energy, Broncos country, and secure your tickets today. That's a quick look at what's happening in Denver this week. And stay updated on all things Denver by checking out our socials. A chicken. Exceptional sandwich. Love all the components on it. Really crispy. Not too spicy. Delicious, though. On to dinner. Little roast beef stroganoff. So I usually do beef stroganoff at, at my restaurant, 730 South. One of my best sellers. You don't see it a lot. Got crispy fried onions on here. Papardelle noodles. All right. Little sour cream in it. That just makes me mad. His stroganoff is better than mine. So if you're looking for a place, you can come with the family. You can come for a business lunch, business breakfast. You can come for a date night, block and bottle. Good for any occasion. The offices have been located here on 3rd Street, right in downtown Castle Rock for six years. And it's a family-friendly place, family-owned. They have an unbelievable selection of whiskeys, over 300 of them. Food-wise, they're doing American comfort food, but when you say American, that allows you to dabble in other regions. So they have some Mexican food, some Italian food, and then they have a beautiful drink program here. This is actually how they serve the margaritas here. This is, uh, some people call it bottomless, but this is just their house margarita. 
and it's like really full. Here's a great example of what they're doing here. Southern fried catfish, I've never heard of that before. So it's cornmeal crusted, which allows it to be gluten-free. Mrs. Oceanese will love to hear that. And then instead of a traditional tartar sauce, we're doing chipotle tartar sauce. Makes sense, right? Southern fried fish and chips with chipotle tartar. Light, flaky, crispy, delish. Onto the Boss Burger. This is gonna be a mess, but it looks delicious. We got fried jalapenos, andouille sausage, carnitas, pepper jack cheese, and there's actually a hamburger underneath here somehow. Days like this, love my job. Oh, that's incredible. That so definitely gotta be careful, very spicy, but amazing how it all went together. This bun is fantastic. Got some house-made onion rings here. I would definitely suggest try it with the chipotle tartar. Really great combination. If you're looking for a family-friendly place in Castle Rock, you cannot beat the office. Scalepi's at the Old Stone Church opened in 2018 in downtown Castle Rock, and it actually is an old church. Going way back to 1880s, they decommissioned it in like the 60s, and there was another restaurant before this, and it's just a stunning environment, but it's a little small. It's 3,500 square feet. So because they're so busy, they're expanding, and it's gonna be twice the size. They also have a little pizzeria next door called Slice Works. You can actually get those slices here in Scalepi's during the day. So as you guys know, I own Carmine's on Penn. I started that in 1994, very famous Italian restaurant. So I'm an Italian food snob. Also New Yorker makes me a food snob overall. So when I saw the menu and then I now seeing the dishes here, I can tell you already, this place is a home run. This is how you do a caprese. That's a burrata caprese. That's the way it should be done. Burrata is like a soft mozzarella. Look at the size of these balls. He's doing it the right way too. Pork, veal, beef. There's no other way to do meatballs. Beautiful salmon. If I was gonna do a salmon dish, I would do it just like this with risotto, broccolini, and pesto. And then you got a creamy sun-dried tomato pesto here with this rigatoni. I don't even have to eat, it's a 10. And they even have their own wine. They have a nice barberoni here. Maybe he'll let me take it home. The menu's so cute. They have, of course, you know, biblical themes on it, Old Testament, New Testament. We're drinking a holy fajoli. They have a beautiful patio out front. This is definitely like a patio pounding drink. 10. People around town, if you wanna know what a meatball should taste like, come to Scalepi's. That's what a meatball should be. Tender, flavorful. I have so many hard ones around town. Does that sound sexual? Got some broccolini in here. Little known trivia. Broccolini is my favorite vegetable. I can tell already, it's not like an Alfredo, not like a really thick sauce. They definitely thin it out with a little wine or stock. Insane. I was talking to the owner here about social media. He's like, yeah, I don't know anything about social media. I don't do any advertising. He doesn't have to. The food speaks for itself. Try the salmon anyway, since we're here, right? Might as well try it. Place is amazing. That's all you can say. Definitely have to come check out Scalepi's at the Old Stone Church. Wild Blue Yonder is an amazing brew pub that opened in 2018 in downtown Castle Rock. And they have 16 beers on tap. And I'm like, why Wild Blue Yonder? What's the name? Well, it turns out the owners were all in the Air Force. And so a lot of the beers have Air Force themes to them. And Wild Blue Yonder, you know, you're flying in the air. They brought me a Kolsch here to start. 16 different beers on tap. They don't always have the same 16. They try and keep it fresh. Give it a whirl. Yep, crisp, light, refreshing. Hold on, let me, I wasn't sure if I liked that. <laughs> Apparently they serve empty beer here. Cuisine wise, they're doing pub food here, but Colorado twist on pub food. 
So you, poutine, right? You guys all heard of poutine, but they're doing Colorado poutine. Green chili in here with the cheese curds and fries. It's like Canada and Colorado had a baby. Law and order nachos. Never seen any nachos like this before. You got kettle chips, you got cheese, right? Yeah, okay. Not too crazy. But then they're putting cabbage on here, sauerkraut, jalapenos. But wait, elk sausage, come on. You know what would go great with that? A beer, thank you. Oh, we got another beer, Aim High Amber. This is the first beer they brewed here. This would be great on their patio. They've got the largest patio in all Castle Rock. This is in the front with a view of Castle Rock. Beautiful secluded area in the back and even a side one. Cheers. The Whiskey Lodge is on the opposite side of the highway from all the restaurants we visited in downtown. So we're on the west side here. The more residential, got a few more restaurants, but a completely different feel. They've been open since 2018. 200 different whiskeys, of course. Since we're doing whiskey, we're doing an old fashioned. Cheers. Ooh. That's a damn good old fashioned. Style of food they're doing here, well, you know, stuff that goes with whiskey, right? So we got a brat platter here, some bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar elk bratwurst. This one here is a wild boar and a buffalo, some accoutrement. And wing-wise, you can get it with sauce or without sauce. So here we got a dry rub. So this is Frank's Hot dry rub. I didn't even know they had that. So you get all the flavor of the buffalo sauce without it being messy. And then they do a couple of pizzas here. Today I went half pepperoni, half stinking green chili. So that's Mark Schlereth, my neighbor over there in Lone Tree. This is his stinking green chili on a pizza. All right, wings first. Always wings first. Pull out that bone. I'm gonna try no sauce. Oh, that's my jam. Yeah, that absolutely has a flavor of buffalo without the mess. Genius. Really excited to try this jalapeno cheddar elk. Not too spicy, really flavorful. Goes well with the drink. I don't think I've had boar sausage before. Completely different feel. It's almost like, I wanna say like chicken. I know that's weird, but. And then buffalo sausage. That's a 10. Wow, that's my favorite thing. Well, that's fantastic. All right, you guys know Mark Slareth, guy played for the Broncos, right? Singing green chili on pizza? Hell yeah. I don't know why nobody's done this before. Hey, it's delicious. Come check out the Whiskey Lodge. They've got bingo on Mondays and Wednesdays, whiskey tastings, live music on the weekends, food's delish, great old fashions. Another amazing day of eating and drinking. Castle Rock, you killed it. Five great restaurants, couldn't recommend them highly enough. We'll see you soon for another episode of Restaurants Near Me. I'm going back for more of this. Buffalo was so good. Let's eat. On this week's episode of Restaurants Near Me, we're back in Lodo for the season finale. I'm gonna take you to five restaurants in five hours. Let's eat. Uh, drinking an as-you-wish cocktail here at Daughter Thai. Daughter Thai is one of my all-time favorite restaurants. Not just Thai food, all-time favorite restaurants. They combine amazing service, gorgeous dining room, upscale cocktails, upscale Thai food, and it's owned by three dynamic Thai women. What they brought me here today is a cow soy. 
cassoy I've had here before with chicken and with short ribs. Today they're doing it with a duck leg. Can't wait to try that. You can see how crispy the skin is. And then this is a new dish also. This is the, the new red curry mussels. The broth here is everything in the yellow curry and the cow soy. Cut a little bit, oh, just disintegrating, just falling apart. This duck right here. I mean, you can put pretty much anything in this curry and you're gonna love it. Oh. It works with duck, for sure. Onto the mussels here. The thing about coming to Daughter Thai, this isn't a place that you come to melt your face. This is where you come for flavor. There are places around town where you can get that Thai heat that destroys you, that you can't taste the food. I mean, they'll make it spicy for you here, but that's not what you come here for. You come here because you want to taste the food. You want to taste this curry. This is why it's one of my favorite restaurants in all of Colorado. As they would say in Thailand, Aloy Mok Mok. Bring a hurricane here at Nola Jane's on Market Street. You can't come to a Cajun style restaurant and not get a hurricane. They make a great one. I've actually had a hurricane on Bourbon Street at Pat O'Brien's who founded the hurricane during World War II. It's basically a drink that'll get you drunk, but it really goes great with Cajun food, with jambalaya, etouffee gumbo, and they make it all here phenomenally well. The kitchen stays open as long as the bar stays open. So if the bar's open till two, the kitchen stays open till two. And they have a fantastic rooftop too. Amazing in the summer with nice views and you can see all the action going on on Market Street. So today they brought us blackened catfish, smothered etouffee style, their dirty rice, collard greens, and then shrimp and grits with uh, some shrimp on top. If you haven't had shrimp and grits before, give it a try, they're freaking delish. That's some of the best I've ever had. One second, I'll be right with you. Big fan of blackened catfish. Smother in etouffee, cannot go wrong. Spicy, creamy, the fish is cooked to perfection, nice and moist. These collard greens right here are to die for. Chef Lon is one of Colorado's most talented chefs. Next door he has LaRue, amazing French Mediterranean food, and his first restaurant, Cholon, is on the corner over there. What we're doing over here, this is Yumcha Dumplings, his newest restaurant, a dumpling emporium. You got all different gorgeous types of dumplings here. Today they brought us the signature General So's soup dumplings. Be very careful, these will burn the out of your mouth. Wait a few minutes, let them cool. Next, we have the pork belly miso ramen. I have not had the ramen here yet. I've had tons of their dumplings. They are absurdly delicious. And then I've had this cocktail here before. I requested it again, the Mandarin Dragon. So I'm a huge fan of the French onion soup dumplings at his first restaurant at Cholon. They're like world famous, really. And then he came up with these General So's soup dumplings. And I'm telling you people, they rival the French onion ones. Come in, give these a try. These dumplings will blow your mind. The combination of the soup with the chicken in that perfectly cooked dumpling. Did I mention absurdly delicious? We don't get a lot of ramen on the show. I haven't had the ramen here yet. I'm a huge ramen fan. Let's get into this right here. We got, the, look at that egg. That is cooked to perfection. Let's pop that baby. Stir that up a little bit. Now you got the egg in there with the broth, with the pork belly. I'd eat the hell out of that. They took me down to Flavortown. Yumta Dumpling and Noodle Bar is a fantastic addition to the Denver food scene. 
Venice Ristorante and Wine Bar is brought to you by Alessandro Carollo. This guy is authentic Italian, the real deal. Like, he hangs out with Andrea Bocelli. This guy is connected. We've got a filet mignon carpaccio to start us off with, with a little polenta cake, arugula. You got some fried capers and breadsticks here. If you've never had carpaccio before, it's raw beef. And so when I used to do it in my restaurant, I would just freeze it because it's the only way you could slice it paper thin. Wrap it around the breadstick here. Don't be afraid of the carpaccio. Absolutely worth the trip here. Buried underneath all that arugula is a polenta cake. Polenta is just cornmeal, right? And then you fry it up in a cake like that. Ooh. <laughs> just flavors exploding in my mouth. Between the truffle oil, the polenta cake, the filet and the capers. Wow, this thing really works. Turn smell vision on. That fresh rosemary on this veal chop smells incredible. So a quick veal chop story. I love them so much. This is what I served at my wedding. They're serving it here today with a mushroom sauce, some mixed veggies, some roasted potatoes. Huge, huge fan of veal chops. So good. It's, it's similar uh, mouthfeel to uh, actually a steak. Um, you know, it makes sense. Veal is cow. Got a nice char on the outside. The sauce complements it perfectly. And then the rosemary steps it up a notch. This is actually special, not on the menu. So check before you come to make sure they have the veal chops. One other thing about Venice, they have another location on Holly and Orchard. That location used to be my restaurant, Uncle Sam's, 20 years ago. They do a much better job than I did. If you're looking for real, authentic Italian food, Venice Ristorante is the place. So excited to be at Garden Grace. This is owned by my friend, Chef Troy Gard. He owns a plethora of restaurants in the Denver metro area. And Garden Grace, he even opened another one in Houston. They started me off with the Cosmonaut here. This cocktail actually has an edible orchid in the ice cube. Brilliant presentation, and it's freaking delish. This is the Oak Grilled Octopus. This is one of his signature dishes here. Everybody talks about when you go to Garden Grace, you gotta try the octopus. When octopus is done right, very tender. And that's very tender. Nice char on the outside. Octopus is a very mild flavor. They got a little chorizo and white bean puree with a little romesco here. Complements the octopus perfectly. Now for the main attraction. Why do you come to a prime steakhouse? For this kind of quality of meat. This is the filet trio. So we have a prime, we have a wagyu, and then we have a grass fed here and they do co taste completely different. I've had this dish before. This is the signature roasted heirloom carrot. Comes on top of all his steaks. So the three different fillets, they do have completely different feel. Starting with the grass-fed one here. It does taste different than a prime. It's got some earthy mineral taste to it. The Wagyu right here, gonna be, you know, richer, more buttery. That's the one that melts in your mouth. And then the prime, most prime steak houses, they actually don't do prime fillets because most people can't tell the difference between a prime and a choice fillet. But here, they step it up a notch to prime. And you can tell why. Between the three of them, I mean, they're all, of course, exceptional. Oddly enough, for me, the prime is my favorite. No better way to finish season three than at Garden Grace, one of the best steakhouses in Colorado, if not the whole country. We've eaten all over the state, had amazing food, met phenomenal people. 
We'll see you soon for another episode of Restaurants Near Me. Let's eat. Ever hear the one about the frog? Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up and that frog will boil. It's a lie. But as a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. We make excuses for how we feel. We push everything down. We tell ourselves the lie that it's easier to stay in that boiling water, to disconnect. And some days, maybe, it is. But you've never been interested in easy. Reaching out is hard. Do it anyway. You're not alone. You've got this. You are not a frog. Find resources at va.gov slash reach. How do we create a future in which both people and nature can thrive? This is the biggest question of our times. In the next few decades, we need to do something unprecedented achieve a sustainable existence on Earth. But how do we do it? We can start by understanding how we got to this point. 20,000 years ago, humankind consisted of less than a million hunter-gatherers across the globe. We lived within the resources on offer, in balance with nature a strategy that could theoretically last forever. But it wasn't an easy life. Nature determined our survival. We used our unique minds to challenge that reality. We learnt how to tame the wild, get more from the environment. Our population boomed as did our demands. Every time a new problem arose, we solved it, altering Earth's entire surface in the process. And now we have changed the world so profoundly, scientists have decided that Earth has entered a new phase of its existence. Welcome to the Anthropocene, the age of humans. The tables have turned. We now determine nature's survival. The planet is ours. There's just one problem. We're now totally out of balance with nature. And unless we get our balance back, this age of humans is due to be short-lived. So how do we deal with this problem? When you boil it down, there is one underlying big issue. Our planet is becoming less wild. 
Our species has cleared three trillion trees, cultivated half its fertile land, and now fishes across most of the ocean. In the last 50 years, the populations of wild animals have reduced by 60%. We've replaced them with ourselves and our domesticated animals and plants. Today, we and the animals we raise account for 96% of the mass of mammals and 70% of the birds on Earth. There's very little wild left. This biodiversity loss is not just a tragedy, it's the single biggest problem we face. Without biodiversity, the world as we know it doesn't work. Our planet needs its wild spaces. Every one is a component in the global machine. Only if they are all healthy can the planet run smoothly. A less wild world is less able to provide for our needs, less able to maintain dependable weather and seasons, less able to absorb our impact. Biodiversity equals stability, and stability is what we need most of all. Can we turn this situation around? Can we rewild the world? Well, maybe, due to one key change. As societies develop, something is happening that has never happened before. People are having fewer children. Globally, since the year 2000, the number of people under 16 years old has hardly changed. The main reason our population is still rising is because people are living longer. If this continues, our population may finally stop growing by the turn of the century. By investing in education and women's rights and raising people out of poverty, we could bring about peak human even sooner. This changes everything. It gives us the opportunity we need to regain our balance. The plan for our planet is remarkably simple. Reduce our impact by making sure that everything we do, we can do forever. For the biggest gains, we could concentrate our efforts on four goals. Phasing out fossil fuels and replacing them with renewables. This will not only slow the warming of the planet and the acidification of the ocean, but it will lead to clean air for all of us. Upgrading to efficient food production and reducing our consumption of meat we'll require far less space to provide for ourselves, leaving more for grasslands, reducing deforestation and our demand for fresh water, and feeding more people with healthier, more affordable food. Working together to properly manage our ocean. A global network of no-fish zones, 
and a treaty on the use of international waters would restore the health of the ocean so it actually produces more fish for us all to eat. Working hard to keep hold of the wild populations we still have, encouraging nature wherever we can. In the ocean, on land we no longer need, and even in our cities. If we make these changes, we'll be a long way to becoming a species in balance with nature once again. We will have taken a remarkable journey, from a million people struggling to survive, to several billion living long, healthy lives on a stable planet, able to provide for all our needs. Only at that point will the Anthropocene the age of humans be truly underway. At that point, we will be proud to call it our planet. How do we create a future in which both people and nature can thrive? We open our eyes to this moment in history. Think on a planetary scale. Embrace the challenge we face and do something we humans are very good at. Change the world. If you have something to say, why don't you say it to the whole class? There is something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you think. But the most important thing is, even if we're apart, Always be with you. Stand is precise, no margin for error. Dare to forget that. Dare to have fun with it. Get weird with it. 
Dare to load their minds. Dare to explore. Dare to stem. Learn more at She Can STEM. On the next all-new edition of Art Scene, we'll feature Meow Wolf, plus Denver Arts Week, Desert Rider, Denver Fashion Week, and Fashionability. Tonight's session is being interpreted into Spanish. Sam or Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, thank you very much for having us. Hello, everyone. This is Sam Guzman with the CLC, and along with my colleague Alejandro, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. I will now give the instructions in Spanish. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzman con la CLC y juntamente con mi colega Alejandro estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy al español. Si desea escuchar en español, simplemente vaya a su pantalla y um, oprima el botón que dice interpretación, el icono de globo que dice interpretación y de ahí podrá seleccionar la opción para escuchar en español. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, welcome to the general public comment session of November 13th. Before convening our regular meeting, Council provides a half-hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters except for one scheduled for a legally required public hearing. To maximize time for resident comment, Council will not offer comments or responses from the dais. Council or staff may contact speakers following their comment if they raise matters that lend themselves to follow-up. For those participating in person, when called upon, please come to the podium. On the monitor on the wall, you'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually, when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. When you're promoted, please accept this promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one in your microphone. All speakers should begin their remarks by tell, tell, telling counsel your name and you will have three minutes to speak. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech. Direct your comments to counsel as a whole and refrain from individual or personal attacks, including disparaging other speakers' motives. We will begin in person with, um, sorry, in chambers with Daniel Riling. Speaking to this? Yes. Okay. Yep, nope, it'll, ca it'll catch you. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Hello, council members. I am a South Overland resident whose property abuts the 2301 South Santa Fe micro community. And I urge the council to stop this emergency order and heed the requests of our neighborhood. We are no strangers to the housing crisis that plagues the city. However, in Overland South, we have had terrible experiences with the unhoused, and the city's response for our pleas of assistance has left us to fend for ourselves in this area. So it comes as a huge disappointment that the city just chooses to add more people to our problems. My neighbors during, the, during COVID experienced an illegal encampment on this land that saw consistent theft and drug use around the neighborhood. A man was even raped and killed down by the Platte River during this time. 
We do not feel safe doubling the number of residents in this location and concentrating poverty in such a small area around us. The meeting the mayor had for this uh, micro-community was extremely disappointing as well. The presentation could be best described as a rushed attempt to give us zero information. No concrete facts about this community were given to us and they did not even have a service provider picked out at this time. An absolute embarrassing attempt to defend a rushed project and gave us no confidence in this actual project at all. Um, there's another person here today, Estancia Montoya, who also worked for one of these service providers for a unhoused um, hotel, or she can give more information on it later. But from her experience, it seemed to be only a paycheck to the people that were working at this place and not an incentivized project to rehabilitate the unhoused. If the council wishes to facilitate the rehabilitation of the unhoused, it must abide by strict guidelines on how to best produce results and have a third party auditing system for the service provider. We as taxpayers and active members in this community do not wish to sponsor government funded housing in order to have residents take advantage of a free handout. We want to see this be an absolute success story that drives people back into the workforce. And as of right now, the mayor's plans for this community is not giving us the confidence that is going to be a success. I please, please, I urge the council to fully investigate the micro community process before making such a rash decision. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker joining us via Zoom, Kira O'Connor. Hi there, I'm Kira O'Connor. I've lived in West Colfax at a Royal Village since mid 2019. My apartment overlooks the end of the Knox Light Rail Station, so I see what goes on there day and night. In late 2020, the landscape started changing into what it is now, an open drug market and party center. Groups of people use and deal meth and fentanyl constantly. They trash and block the right of way. We desperately need regular police officer foot patrol. The obscenity is that you cannot walk anywhere in the surrounding area without seeing someone with foil and a straw or meth pipe and smelling the stench of burning chemical drugs. Many children live in the area and this is what they see. It's a severe problem plaguing our city and under-discussed issue. I come from a place of experience. I was a heavy meth user for 12 years and I've been clean six years. The laws need to change or at least be enforced along with mandatory rehab or something. The governor signed House Bill 19-1263, which went into effect mid-2020. It loosened the law so that meth and fentanyl possession under four grams is a misdemeanor. Last year, the law was amended, reducing fentanyl to one gram. However, they left meth alone. And from what I see, fentanyl use has increased. As an experienced user, I assure you, assure you four grams of meth is a huge amount. Even a hardcore user will normally have less than a half gram on them. ODing on, meth, ODing on meth alone isn't common. It is a slow death where you lose your physical health sanity, relationships, jobs, morals, values, and yes, housing. I regularly use public transportation and see drug use and dealing at every bus stop and light rail station. Why? Because there are no consequences. At the ticket level, police have no impetus to pursue users, and if they do end up in jail, judges have no reason to make them stay. When I was in the meth lifestyle, I never used in public. Why? I was afraid of going to jail. 
Contrary to quote-unquote expert opinions, stricter laws are a deterrent. Thank God there were dire consequences to my life, painful losses that brought me to the end of myself and ultimately get clean. In the grips of addiction, there is no thought of getting the real help you need, only the next baggie of dope. And if you're free to get high outside, why bother with a place with four walls? This is not compassionate treatment to drug addicts. It is cruel. Do continue pursuing all these great ideas on housing people, but you're spinning your wheels and perhaps wasting a lot of money until the drug issue is resolved. Time to reverse HB 191263 or do something similar to help these users. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker joins us on Zoom, Helen Orr. Helen, if you can accept the promotion that our producer is sending you, we can bring you into the panel. There we go. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, um, thank you council members. Um, I wanna say a special thank you to District 7 Councilwoman Flora Alvidrez um, for listening to the Overland neighbors and hearing what they had to say and their concerns and for supporting our attempts to negotiate with the city concerning the tiny micro community <clears throat> in our neighborhood. And while we very much understand the complexity and the depth of the situation for homeless folk in the city, and acknowledge that we have a share and a part to play. Um, we feel that we're having an undue burden in our neighborhood. 120 units proposed. That's more than the number of households in that quadrant of Overland. Um, that's too much. And we are asking for an accommodation from the city and we don't feel that our concerns have been heard. Um, we really feel like the city is going right ahead and doing just whatever they want without seeking us as partners. And we think we have a lot to offer as partners in this situation if we can negotiate terms that are better for our neighborhood. So we would like to see a smaller amount of units, 60 max. And we also are deeply concerned about having registered sex offenders and violent offenders in our neighborhood, right adjacent to a school bus stop um, and just the, across the alley from neighbors. Um, and neighbors are here very concerned. They're also very upset because they see that three other proposed sites have recently been canceled across the city. And apparently due to neighborhood opposition and concerns, um, and yet here we are and we feel our concerns are not being actually accurately heard. And also we'd like to negotiate in good faith with the city and we'd like the city to negotiate in good faith with us. So what we're asking for is respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, in case you don't know how to spell it, and equity, because as it stands now, we don't see equity in the siting and we feel that Overland is getting, yet again, from another government entity, an overburden. So 
we look forward to working with the city, negotiating, and if we can get some accommodations, we can really work at participating and making this a success. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up in Chambers, Heather Barnes. Hi, thank you. Um, my name is Heather Barnes. I am also a resident in Overland, and I wanted to bring your attention to the inequality and haste in the way the city is choosing and developing micro community sites. I first want to preface this by saying we do want to help address homelessness, but it needs to be done in a way that it doesn't negatively impact existing communities, especially ones that are already under resourced and marginalized like mine. In order to have success, it needs to be beneficial to one group and not detrimental to another. Continuing to burden low-income districts and neighborhoods is not sustainable and only shifts the problem from downtown to other areas. Overland is a low-income, high-diversity neighborhood bisected of highways. It is also a neighborhood with kids, families, elderly, and young adults. The city wants to bring a 120-person low-barrier shelter with potential sex offenders and violent offenders here for up to four years. I want to bring your attention to that the scale and length of operation, two to four years, of this size in a residential neighborhood is unprecedented in Denver and maybe in the country. We only have 111 houses in that quadrant. It would be more than a one-to-one -one ratio of micro-community residents to existing. Why are we being disproportionately burdened and affected? Like Helene just said, three sites were canceled in more affluent areas, and those were only slated to have 30 to 40 people each. Golden Triangle will host 44 residents. The site also doesn't fit the city's criteria for an ideal location. It is 1.5 to 2 miles from a grocery store and at least a couple of miles from services. We are in a food desert like many other lower income communities in Denver. The micro community sites are supposed to be half a mile from these. To get to the light rail, it requires an inaccessible 0.75 mile walk with no sidewalks in some areas, few street lights, and then a steep climb up Evans um, Bridge and over the highway. There is also a school bus stop five to 10 feet from the perimeter of the micro community site. Not to mention the nonstop loud noise from the highway and regular trains and railroads are not conductive to a good living environment. Just because there is barren land here due to historical reasons does not, does not mean we should haphazardly cram a large amount of people there when it doesn't make sense logistically or safety wise. Moore has asked the city to make modifications to the site, including bringing the number down to a maximum of 60 residents and putting barriers in place to protect everyone inside and outside of the community, like screening for sex and violent offenders. We are asking you here today to support her in her request so this site may be a success for both residents and the surrounding neighborhoods. Thank we you are very much. That's your time. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up in Chambers, Kat De La Rosa. Hello. Tonight, I'm humbly requesting the council rescind the emergency designation for a taxpayer-funded encampment at 2300 South Galapagos Street. After a rushed, and I'm sorry if I'm saying what other people have said, we didn't get together. 
Yes. After a rushed, disingenuous process, the mayor's campaign to hide the dangerous downtown tent encampments, he has presented the council, our neighborhoods, Denver voters, and taxpayers the false Pollyanna narrative and steamrolled our families into a terrifying and life-altering situation. I have owned my little home for 30 years. As an indigenous 72-year-old woman, I chose my house because it backs onto our lovely historical native landing settlement, now called the Grand Frontier Park and Pascanel's Landing. 600 years ago, my ancestors and many other tribes sojourned along the river, and now we are condemned to Denver's encampments, which have proved in the past a real peril. Our neighborhood is 41% Hispanic. We are elderly. We have families with small children who play in the park. But when the encampments are there, they cannot. We are in all a working class, low income group destined to live within a half block or less of the euphemistically labeled micro communities which number the same number as our households. Low barrier, to date, predatory drug addicted and alcohol addicted, mentally ill criminal encampment dwellers have attacked our neighborhood and park before. We've had murders. I myself have taken my grandchildren out to see a man prostituting his two little girls. There's been feces all over. We've had to personally Make, call the parks and the police constantly to lock up the bathrooms, which have been turned into terrible and terrifying drug homes. These, I've had all my possessions that I ever put in the backyard stolen, my trees cut down, my motor home stolen. Um, they, they have um, created a very fearful environment. I'm afraid to walk a few feet from my car to my house. I don't go out at night. They have wrecked our homes. They have created terrible refuse. Over the past 10 years, we persistently called law enforcement. Please save us from the destruction of our tiny neighborhood. This is not going to look like the pretty pictures that they put out for you. I've been a good citizen for the last 40 years. I have worked with the city. I, for eight years, I was a crisis intervention instructor with the Denver Police Department. I've been a social worker. I adopted a little boy from social services who later became schizophrenic. He tried to kill himself at 18 and tried to kill me Thank at 28. Thank you, that's your time. Thank you very much for being here. Our next speaker is Estancia Montoya. Hello, my name is Estancia Montoya. I'm a Denver resident and I went to West High School, graduated from the Center for International Studies program where, I became my, where that became my passion for working with the homeless. I've been working with the homeless for about 30 years. I do stuff on my own, but I also worked for the Colorado Coalition for the homeless for seven years. Let me tell you about that experience. That experience, um, what I worked Friday through Sunday and every single day I was there, I would have to call the police because of incidents that's going on. Anything that happens within the facility, I was in charge of and I would have to take care of. They had their own, they could come and go as they want, just like this community is going to be able to do. They can go out and do their drugs and come back in. Um, so um, just wanna let you guys know that's how it is 
One of the most um, extreme cases is that a woman was raped eight doors down from where I was staying. There's only two staff members on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. There is no third-party auditor that makes sure that these third-party services are actually obeying and doing everything that they should be doing. So I think that would be one plan to do is to get a third-party <clears throat> auditor to go in. Otherwise, they are just collecting the money to house them, and then these people are doing what they want, and there is no repercussions. So grouping all of the homeless under one umbrella is where this plan fails. Let's remember, these people are they're not just homeless because they don't have a home. They are suffering. Majority of the people that I learned, they are on uh, mental health. They need mental health, and they need addiction um, rehab. So I think that what we need to do is address that and change the state of emergency of homeless to mental health and addiction. If you did that, you would clearly clear up the root of the problem of each person and then also address the homeless because they would be somewhere where they can be taken care of. When I worked there, I did not receive any training and I dealt with people with schizophrenia, bipolar, who were on drugs and alcohol. I have one question for all of you guys. I wanna thank Floor for all her support and listening to the community, but I want you guys to truly and genuinely, if you could answer yes to any of these questions, if you cannot answer yes to any of these questions, then as your job as city council man and woman, you are to represent and protect the Denver citizens and you should be voting no on this tiny home project. First question, if you were homeless, would you feel safe to be in this community? Would you want to be there? And do you think you would get the proper care that you would need? Two, would you, would you love for one of your loved ones, a son, daughter, brother, sister, mom, dad, to be housed in this community? Do you think they would be safe? And also, if this was in your backyard, would you embrace this as well? Or would you be here fighting just like us? If you could not say yes to any of those, then please listen to the people. We heard them all, and you've been hearing them all. Vote against this. What the your job is to check and balance the mayor. So I'm asking you, please check and balance and stop and slow some of this down and make sure that he has a plan for what he's doing because he has no plan at all. And me working there, it's, it's, it's not safe for a staff member, it's not safe for a resident, and it's not safe for the community. Thank you, ma'am. Mm -hmm. That's your time. Our next speaker is Liz Peterson joining us on Zoom. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, my husband, Frank, and I are new residents in Overland. We purchased our newly built townhome in February of 2021. Uh, we saw this neighborhood as a rare gem and a good potential for growth. There have been multiple small developers who have seen Overland as an area of change with amazing proximity to the Platte River Trail, beautiful Overland Park golf course, and an easy commute to downtown where they build homes for an, in a variety of, of price ranges. Um, we're we were encouraged that this growth and prosperity would continue. That all changed late this summer when our mayor and his team announced a proposed homeless camp approximately a half a mile from our home and for many just across the alley, not across the street, not or down the block, but across the alley. Not to mention one block from Grant Frontier Park, which on weekends is full of families enjoying the banks of the Platte. Um, if our district is to be a host to a homeless camp, can it not be better proportioned to the size of our neighborhood to be located on Alameda Avenue? That site follows many of the city's aspirations for success. It's very close to light rail at the Alameda station, close to a grocery store, the Safeway at Alameda and Broadway, and along bus routes number three along Alameda and number zero along Broadway. And another parameter, it's not just 
adjacent to a, bull, a school bus stop as ours is, nor across the alley from single family homes. Our neighborhood has had multiple meetings on this, including meetings attended by the mayor and his team. We do appreciate his campaign promise to get the homeless off the street, but he's doing this in a way that harms hardworking longtime residents of Denver, such as my neighborhood, my neighbors in Overland. He's turning his back on citizens of Denver, offer, off, often favoring a transient population that does not pay taxes. Work hard and look ahead to better times. Now the mayor has strapped our neighborhood with a proposed four-year death sentence, threatening the safety of those who use the Platte River Trail, the playgrounds, the sense of community, our sleepy, low-density neighborhood has had. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker joining us in chambers, Jack Unruh. Thank you. Over 43 years on the same block in Overland, we've seen the neighborhood endure a radical widening of Santa Fe under the powers of eminent domain. Under the powers of the Supremacy Clause, it endured an illegally cited radioactive dump. Optimistically, I voted for this mayor partly because of his ambitious plan for the homeless. City Council voted for the powers of a state of emergency out of similar optimism. I want to support this mayor in making the homeless situation better for all concerned, but these extraordinary powers have steamrolled, or steamrolled Overland again. The site plan violates the letter of the pertinent zoning clause, the purported criteria for siting are stretched beyond recognition, and the facts on the ground, like its DPS schools bus stop, were unknown to the mayor. A great looking plan at 30,000 feet looks worse and worse when examined up close. Strong mayor government does not need superpowers, and any kind of power diminishes empathy for the less powerful. Where better healed neighborhoods have persuaded the mayor to listen to the community, disregard for our disadvantaged neighborhood leaves him deaf. District 7's scruffy west side is slated for by superpower to host two of these TMCs. Out of Denver's 78 neighborhoods, Overland's share of 1,000 housed is 13. District 7's is 91. At 120, the Santa Fe site alone is the largest planned anywhere, while some well-housed neighborhoods take no responsibility for the unhoused. Please, my neighbors and our representative Algizrist, limit residents to people not in the grip of drugs, alcohol, and documented criminal or sexual compulsion have been ignored. CDOT's dollar-a-year dirt is leased for four years with an option for, for another four. Those four years, in the zoning code are called for no call for no further TMC use. It seems the mayor be, may be looking forward to more superpowers ahead. If possible, halt the development of this site. If not, support reducing its onerous impact and do not renew these superpowers that distort civil process into administrative omnipotence. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker signed up in person, uh, Charles Foster. Good afternoon, Council. Thank you for letting me be able to speak. Um, I'm speaking in terms of the Five Points African American Historical District, and I would like to bring a lot of important um, matters to your attention at this time. The first matter is this, um, the Five Points Business Improvement District meetings. Um, the property owners and a lot of business owners feel that they're not being represented properly within their needs. Also, there's issues with the board, um, uh, with the board, 
giving information in terms of the time frame too as well. A lot of the uh, the property owners are feel that they're not being notified in a proper proper enough time frame in order to attend. And I have another question to ask here too. Do you have to be do you have to um, own property or own a business to be on the on the Five Points Business Improvement Board? Reason being is because there's um, there are new members that are on the board that are questionable at this time. So I'd like to bring this to your attention. Also, please understand that this is our first historic district within the city and it should be treated as a crown because this is a representation of the city itself in terms of historical aspects. So I wanted to also bring that to the attention of the council. There are a lot of tourists that are coming in and out of the city. Um, we're expecting our airport to, um, over, uh, excuse me, to, to see over 100 million uh, passengers within the next two years. Within that time frame, certainly you will have historians, people that have interest in historical um, values and stuff. And so this is why this is very important for um, the council to be notified in terms of the needs of this particular, of, excuse me, of our of the district. Another thing I'd like to point to your attention is graffiti issues. Every week I have um, reported to the city and council, um, excuse me, to the city and county um, of Denver in terms of with their abatement program, which they're doing a good job, but this is been going on since 2019. Every week, uh, just graffiti, vandalism in this area. It seems to be a nonstop issue. This is why I'm now bringing it to the attention to the council. I have looked at, at your uh, municipal codes um, up under section 38. I am asking now, would you please look at those um, codes a little bit more properly because I think they need to be updated the lenience there too, it's very lenient in terms of someone to get caught um, with the graffiti or graffitiing um, certain buildings or just buildings um, in particular, specifically in the historic district. I think that within a historic district, these rules and regulations should be looked at more properly and should be addressed. I think they should um, also be, uh, the leniency should be looked at too because they're very lenient. Um, I have also like to bring to your attention um, the issue with the street lighting, which I work with the councilman on that particular issue. And the property owners want security too. This is a very, very, very um, need for this. I understand the crime rates are going up in certain parts of the city, but again, this is a historical district. It is look, uh, looked at on an international basis as such. Thank you so very much. That's your time. Oh, thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, our next speaker is uh, signed up in chambers, Tyler Israel. All right, good afternoon. Um, I wanna start by saying I live inside, I own a vehicle. However, that was not always the case for me. Um, after trying to get resources and help with that, I ended up having to kind of do it myself um, because as we know, as we've heard multiple times, these resources can take a long time um, and I mean, I'm still homeless at the end of the day. Um, but I did find a situation where um, I'm able to pay a low amount of rent. Um, I live inside and it's warm and I have food every night. Um, I'm queer, non-binary, and also feminized person of color in society. I know the rules, I'm not gonna call anyone out, um, but I'm gonna name drop, not anyone that's particularly in here. 
Um, as we know, bathroom access in this city, uh, in the metropolis, has uh, been scarce for a really long time. Um, and when people do let you go to the bathroom, it's under the condition that um, you look a certain way. You have to get codes to go into a lot of bathrooms downtown. Um, and those codes are on your receipts from when you made a purchase. So there's this expectation that you have to spend money to go to the bathroom. Um, now, this particular situation, I was spending money. I was a regular customer at La Morena on Colfax. I had been going there long enough to probably spend uh, $1,000 collectively over the course of like a month, month and a half-ish. Um, and um, it, was, it was fine. Um, I was using the bathroom that uh, best accommodated me. Um, and one night when I went for my routine dinner there, um, I was harassed by their security, armed security. As far as I knew, armed security is supposed to um, protect the safety of people inside and not people's feelings. But the female security guard, Caitlin, took, a, took it upon herself um, to tell me that I had to use the other restroom. And when I told them that this was a violation of my civil rights, uh, Caitlin got in my face. It came into a full-blown heated argument and that manifested me getting 86th off the property. And like I said, I live inside and this happened to me. So I can only imagine if I was still outside and I didn't have that money. This is a, and, and to get a lawyer for this and to begin to even try to take legal action takes a long time. The easiest thing to do is what? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and move on. Thank you for much, so much for coming today. Um, that concludes our general public comment session. If we did not get to you today, please join us next week or submit your comments in writing. The next session will be held on Monday, November 20th. Sign up begins at 11 a.m. on Friday, November 17th.